Hello and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. We exist to see lives transformed through Jesus and are located in the heart of Surrey, BC, Canada. To find out more, visit us at horizonchurch.ca. We hope this message blesses and inspires you. Come on, how's everybody doing this morning? HYC, you guys have a good weekend or what? Come on. Is there still some battalion games left? So the winner has, has the winner been announced? No. So who thinks they won? Parents, adult, who do you think won? Come on. Well, it's been such a treat the last uh, few days being with uh, a bunch of stinky high schoolers and youth leaders, uh, but just beautiful people and uh, just an incredible few days that God has been moving. And uh, I just want to say right off the bat, um, I just love this church. I love what God is doing here. And um, I just fully believe in what God is doing through the leadership here and the pastors and uh, the youth leaders. I mean, to come through a pandemic and to have over 70 high school students coming to a summer camp, is that's a miracle in and of itself. And it has been so hard. I have the privilege of, of working with hundreds of churches across the country. And uh, to see uh, a gym like this almost filled and to see a bunch of young people here pressing into what God has, um, this is a church that cares about what God is doing in young people. And I just think that's incredible. And uh, so can we give it up for your pastors here and the work that they're doing? So good. Yeah. So good. Well, we uh, anchored ourselves in a story uh, in the life of Jesus, and our students are going to tell you it is uh, found in where? What's the passage that we've been looking at, friends? Long John chapter four, Long John chapter four. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to John chapter four. We had a big debate if you're a Long John person or a Boston cream, or if you've ever secretly eaten a snack pack of Timbits by yourself, um, or maybe the 50 pack. I don't know. No judgment here. This is a safe place. Um, and uh, so we've been looking at the story of the woman at the well. If you've got a Bible, go with me there. We're going to read it uh, just because it's a beautiful story. It's a bit of a lengthy text, but we can rally. If you're there, say what up. Might be on the screen, might not be, who knows. John chapter four, verses one, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. I love the brackets here though, though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. That'll preach a different sermon. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. If you've got a highlighter or a pen underlined, he had to go. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus was tired from the long walk. He sat wearily beside the well about noontime, underline noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at that time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. 
She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope. She's not getting it. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water from? And besides, do you think you're greater than the ancestor, our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How could you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Verse 15, please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Come on, somebody. Then I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here to get the water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband for the one you, for you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man that you're living with right now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me why it is that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while the Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped. And Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no, matter, no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Verse 26, then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Underline, I am. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? Check this out. Verse 28, the woman left her jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything. Somebody say everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? And so the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, come on, Jesus, you, you got to eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Well, did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other and Jesus explains, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up. Somebody say, wake up. And look around. The fields are already ripe for the harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits the planter and the harvesters alike. You know the saying, one plants, another harvest. And it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work and now you will get to gather 
the harvest. Verse 39, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. And when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed there for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard it for ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that you would once again, just reveal this passage to us, reveal the person of Jesus, the savior of the world through this story. And God, I know that it is not an accident that each person that is here today, whether they came to witness a baptism or whether they just stumbled into this place this morning, if they're watching online, wherever they are at, God, we know that this is a moment that you have called and set apart. And so may you reveal your goodness your love and your salvation to all of us this morning. And the church said, amen. Over these last few days, we've anchored ourselves in this text. And we started with this idea of where do we find purpose and meaning? From such a little age, we are asked the question, what do we want to do with our life? What do we want to do when we get older? For me, when I was in grade six, I wanted to be a professional skateboarder. And then I realized I had very weak ankles. Then when I was in grade eight, I wanted to be a professional basketball player. And then I realized I can't jump. And then as I got older, I thought, man, if I could just get my license, I would truly be happiest and find full meaning in life. And then I got a speeding ticket. Or maybe it was a girlfriend. A girlfriend would truly solve all of life's problems. And that lasted between chemistry and English class. But as we get older, the same is still true today. Some of us are still asking the question, what are we going to do when we get older? What will be our purpose and our life? And for some of us, we thought that getting married, having kids, a career, that then we will truly find fulfillment and purpose. But this endless search for purpose and meaning in some of these things seem to leave us more and more wanting for something more, more and more thirsty for something greater. But not only that, what about the things that happen to us that end up affecting us in a severe way? Like for me, in grade six, listening each and every night at the top of the stairs to my parents fighting every single evening and then pulling me aside the following day for months on end, for years on end, telling me that they're gonna get a divorce. Or maybe it's the moments of abuse that some of us have received. Or maybe like me in grade 10 when I visited a friend's house at lunchtime and for the first time viewed explicit pornography without my knowing, without my control. Or maybe when I was 19, falling into a severe addiction to gambling. What about the things that happen to us? What about those things that cause so much guilt and shame in our life, the things that we can't always control. And we find ourselves in a very similar story to this woman at the well. And yet in this moment, we read in John chapter four that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Why was that? 
Well, we see that this word, this hat to word is the Greek word day. And we see it all throughout scripture. It, we read in, you must be born again, born from above. It's day. He must increase. I must decrease from the John, the baptizer says day. And in this very story, Jesus says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. It's day. We see that Jesus had to go through Samaria. It's the word day. And why was that? Why did Jesus have to go through Samaria. And we know it's because Jesus was sent on mission, receiving direction from the Father, and he was on a mission to find this woman. And Jesus is on a mission to seek and save the lost. Jesus had a divine agenda. It was divine necessity to go through Samaria. And Jesus goes to the stranger and he goes to the outcast. And this morning, church, I would say the same thing that happened to this woman at the well. Jesus is on a divine necessity to you. Jesus had to go to you. Jesus is on a mission towards hurting and broken and lost people. And this is the gospel, friends. It's not that we, out of our own volition, randomly stumbled upon a Jesus hiding under a rock. It's not that we were in pursuit of meaning and pleasure and purpose, and we happened to find Jesus at the end of a rainbow. No, Jesus, out of a divine mission, was sent to each one of us, and he pursued us. But what does Jesus do for us What does Jesus do when he encounters the lost and broken? You see, for so many of us, whether it was our search for purpose and search for meaning, we have often found ourselves falling into two camps of both guilt or shame. Guilt is that feeling like this woman of feeling that deep source of pain inside of us for the things that we have done. And so many of us have done things that we are guilty of, stuff in our past like this woman, things that we are afraid of to admit. And this woman has had a tattered past of things that she has participated in, willfully joined into. And the guilt that just presses in on her, you can just sense it in this story. And the same is true for so many of us. And then there's shame. Shame is that deep, intense feeling inside of us, not just for what we've done, but for who we are. For some of us, it's our family of origin. For some of us, it's the people that we've surrounded ourselves with. For some of us, it's the places that we've been a part of. It's a sense of shame in who we are as an identity. And this woman here finds herself filled with guilt and shame. And out of divine necessity, she encounters the living God. Because Jesus has always had to go to the guilty and the ashamed, the unqualified and the broken. This was his divine necessity to go to these people. What's so fascinating about this moment is this woman's guilt and shame through the things that she had done and the stuff that has gone on in her life, Jesus reveals that, that she had had five husbands. And in fact, the sixth man that she is living with today is actually not even her husband. 
And we read in this story the reality of what is actually going on here at this well. You see, what's so fascinating about wells in the Old Testament is, is that wells were often a place of proposals. In Genesis chapter 24, we see this is where Isaac first meets Rebekah. In Genesis 29, we read that Jacob, at the end of a long journey, welcomes a young woman named Rachel. In Exodus 2, Moses sits down by a well and meets Zipporah, who would eventually become his wife. And here, once again, at a well, there is in form a proposal that is about to take place. You see, this woman for six relationships has been trying to find meaning and purpose. And here all of a sudden comes the seventh man. And if you know anything about numbers in the Bible, the number seven is the number of perfection. And Jesus here at the well says for six other men, for several years, you've been trying to find perfection and peace and purpose and meaning. And here I am, the one that you have been longing for. Would you come into relationship with me? Jesus is the perfect man. And that feeling of guilt and shame begins to lift. And what's even more amazing about this situation is as Jesus has this encounter with this woman, he not only kind of proposes to her at this well, but more than that, at the very beginning of the Gospel of John, one of the first stories we read, is Jesus determines to reveal his divine nature as the Messiah of the world to a broken and wretched woman. You would think that if Jesus was going to let the world know that he's the Messiah, that he would do it with an influencer, with somebody of status and credibility, somebody that could really spread his message, somebody that's got a little bit of a better track record than six people she's been hanging around with, somebody with a little less guilt and shame, you know, somebody that's got their life together. But that's not how the kingdom of Jesus works. Jesus has always been revealing the message of hope that he is the savior of the world, not to those that are put together, but to those that are in need of a savior. And isn't that us? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ didn't come to us when we were at the peak of our A-game. Christ doesn't reveal himself to us when we think that we're comfortable and happy. Now, how many, this, how many this morning, if we passed the mic around, would share story after story of how we found ourselves filled with guilt and shame, things that we have done and things that have been done to us, and it is in that moment that Christ seems to meet us at and this is the gospel. This is the good news that Christ came right to us, right in the midst of our pain and suffering. And in this moment around this well, as Jesus reveals himself as the savior of the world to this woman, we see this incredible instance of holy ground. Holy ground, why? 
Because any time the gospel radically encounters somebody, we see a divine holy moment. And friends, any time that we experience the love of Christ, whether it be here on a Sunday morning in an incredible worship service, or whether it be at the end of a long week and we're struggling on a Friday night wondering what in the world is the purpose of life, there is a divine encounter and a holy ground moment. What's been your holy ground moments? Was it at the end of addiction? The bottom of the barrel for you? That moment when you got let go from your job? Maybe it's been through COVID. Moments where you didn't think that there would be much more hope in your life. The gospel creates divine holy ground moments. Encounters with Jesus are divine, holy moments. And so today, Jesus is divinely, out of divine necessity, chasing you. His love is pursuing you. And we talked about how we as a called out people have been called out like this woman was. And we've been called out into a community of people just like this woman. And what joins us together as a church is not a bunch of perfect put together people. It's a whole bunch of me too people. What do I mean by me too? I believe that Christianity was the very first me too movement. What do I mean by that? It's the woman at the well who runs back to her city and says, look at this man who told me everything I had ever done. I was lost and broken and hurting. I had so much shame and pain in my life. And she speaks this to her generation, to her friends, her peers, her coworkers, and they are like, no ways, me too. And friends, we are a people, not a people that just declare our lives are put together, but we are a people that says, I once was lost too. And we developed and we talked about this framework of our testimony that says, I used to find fulfillment in money and pleasure and sex and relationships and, and careers and sports. And it left me feeling shameful and guilty and, and filled with pain. But then I found Jesus and he gave me hope and meaning and a purpose. And so now what binds us together is our story that says, me too, I used to feel ashamed as well. But look what Jesus has done in my life. And this is so important to realize that the church is not just about people who have become perfect on their own. The church is not about a people who have never experienced pain or suffering. The church is not a people who never still today feel guilt and shame. The church is this idea that we used to walk in shame and we didn't have a way out. But we found a savior. And in this moment, what's so fascinating is in, in John chapter four, Jesus is talking to his disciples and they're just messing around talking about what Jesus is gonna eat for lunch. And Jesus says, look up for the harvest is ripe. And some scholars would say that Samaritans were known for, for wearing white. It was kind of one of the things that, that they would wear. And Jesus is up on the hill and he's talking to his disciples who still are just not getting it. And he encourages them. He says, friends, look up 
for the harvest is ripe or the harvest is white for the picking. What were they looking at? They would look down the hill and see an entire village that is swarming to come and meet the savior of the world. And friends, this text from over 2,000 years ago, this story of this woman is ever more present and relevant today. Because friends, if we could just turn our eyes and look over the city of Surrey this morning, if we could have some sort of spiritual vantage point, we would be able to see that the harvest is ripe. And we know the harvest is ripe, friends, because... A day doesn't go by where we hear a story of pain and hopelessness, of the rise of suicide still amongst all ages, addiction, overdose. The harvest is not ripe because people are storming to come to church. The harvest is ripe because people are storming to find a savior. And so would we be a people that turn our eyes to see the richness of the harvest. And what is our message? What was her message? Come, check out this incredible kids program we have at our church. Come, check out, they've got great youth pastors that are super cool. Her message was, come and see the man. He told me everything that I'd ever done. I think he's the savior of the world. And so friends, as Jesus went to the lost and to the stranger, out of divine necessity, so must we. We must be a people out of divine necessity, go to the lost and the hurting and the broken with a message that says, You've struggled with shame and guilt. Me too. But come and see the man who is the savior of the world. The lion of Judah, the Messiah, the great I am, the one who is and is to come, the bread of life, the good shepherd, the great redeemer, the author and finisher of our faith. Come and see this man. Because friends, all across this city, all of our neighbors and coworkers are finding themselves drinking from wells that will always leave them wanting more. And we, as fellow beggars, have found the source of life, the great well, and our role is to point to the well of living water. And so this is our life's call, to point to the well, to point to the well. And so the question that I have for you today is what does love, what does the love of Jesus require of me? We as a people who have encountered the love of Christ out of the overflow of our heart now engage in acts of love. You see, what separates us from all other social movements of change in the world is we're not doing this because we think they're good ideas. We're doing this because we encountered the champion of social change. His name is Jesus Christ. And as we encountered his love, we now begin to champion the love of Christ into all the darkness of the world. 
And so what is the love of Jesus inviting you into today? What would the love of Jesus require of you this morning? And as I thought about this this morning, I was thinking about this generation that is sitting in front of you here this morning. And over these last few days, they've had just an incredible experience of hearing the voice of God, being filled with the Holy Spirit, and now they're ready to be sent on mission. And a quick insight into what goes on in these students' lives is each and every day they're on social media and they see their peers all over the world championing some significant initiatives. Things like climate change, things like care for the poor and refugees, things like working through incredible social issues of equality and race and reconciliation. Young people are leading the charge in building incredible things around the world. And here we have some Christian students who this is the perspective that they see each and every single day. And then they come to church and they're ready to rip. They're ready to go. They're fired up after a summer camp. And friends, can I encourage you that our role with young people is not just to get them to pay their dues just by asking them to set up chairs, but it's to come behind them, remind them that Jesus is the champion of social change and to lift them and support them into what they're called to do. Because the stories that I hear about these students is stories of incredible kingdom startup initiatives. And they're ready to go. And so my question for you as a church is, will you just be a church that has a youth ministry? Or will you be a church that does youth ministry? You know what the difference between a church that has a youth ministry and a church that does youth ministry? is a church that just does youth ministry or a church that just has a youth ministry, they're comfortable with Pastor Daniel just hanging out with them on a weeknight. A church that does youth ministry steps up on a Sunday morning after church and invites those kids over to their house for lunch. Oh, I'm stepping on toes. Sorry, Pastor Daniel. Is it hot in here or is it just me? A church that has a youth ministry is really excited to drop kids off. A church that does youth ministry invites those same kids for a sleepover after youth night where the parents engage, have them around the table, ask them what God is doing in their life through summer camp. And you might be somebody that's sitting here and you don't have kids in the youth ministry. I wanna let you know that what I know about the leadership of this church is they wanna be a church that does youth ministry and everybody plays a role in equipping the next generation. And it doesn't just mean putting up with, with their crazy music and their smokes and the lights and all those funny songs that you kind of like hop to while they're singing. You don't know what to do. No, it's not just putting up with that. You know what else it is? Throughout the Psalms, we read that from one generation to the next will proclaim his mighty works. And what I think that looks like, one of the ways that I think that looks like is when previous generations proclaim to the next generation what God has done in their life. And so how do we do that? We do that through relationship. And so would you be somebody that as you see them fired up and ready to engage on mission, we just had 15 young people get baptized, ready to storm the world, to take every darkness of their school. 
Would you be somebody that shares what God has done in your life in the past? Maybe there's areas that, that you learned, things that you did. Would you pull them under your wing? Maybe you hear of some students that are about to start a prayer group in their school, that they've got a nonprofit they wanna begin, or maybe they're about to run Alpha. Would you be somebody that just slips them a cool, crisp 50 or $100 bill to go buy pizza for all of their friends? Maybe pull them aside, pray for them. I don't know, but what would love require of you? And so friends, like this woman at the well, we encounter a Jesus that changes our life, reveals to us, removes our guilt and shame and invites us to be on mission with him. The greatest yes you could ever say is the yes to join Jesus in the renewal of all things, to see his kingdom come on earth just as it is in heaven. You wanna find purpose? You wanna find meaning? You wanna live a life that is just contagious and vibrant? Say yes to the renewal of all things to the kingdom of heaven. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I can't help but just be overwhelmed by your love. The fact that over 2,000 years ago, you revealed yourself to a broken and wretched woman. And you did the same to me. You did the same to my friends here today. And this morning, God, if there's anybody that finds themselves not knowing this Jesus, I just pray the love of Christ right now, would you just propose to them? Would you just by your Holy Spirit reveal yourself to them? That you would call them out in a loving way. Even now, I just sense the Holy Spirit just bubbling things to the surface of where you've been trying to find fulfillment. It's been a career, a new house, even a spouse. And these have been wells that you have been drinking from that continually leave you thirsty and you've been wondering why. And so by the love of Christ, I just pray that you would see Jesus as the savior of the world and the one true living water. Jesus, would you just, by your grace, just say, come and drink from me. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. And those of us that have received this love, now Jesus is asking us, what does the love of Jesus invite us into? not by any sort of coercion or control, but simply by invitation and challenge. And right now, the love of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit is placing a mission in your life. And just like Jesus had to go through Samaria, there is a hat to that is bubbling up in your heart right now. 
There is a call of God that is bubbling up in some of your hearts this morning that would require you to go a different pathway. For some of you, it's a career change. For some of you, it's even maybe a new place to live. There is a divine necessity that Jesus is placing on your heart this morning. And Jesus is inviting you to come and see a harvest that is ripe for the taking. Because the love of Christ out of necessity wants to involve each one of you into his kingdom of renewal. And he just wants your yes this morning. He just wants your yes. And so we as a community, connected by our stories, God, we just thank you that we are joined by the cross. We are joined by the resurrection. We are joined by a savior that has removed shame and guilt from our lives. And so would you knit this church together? I had a prophetic word on the first night around this, this, these links of chains that are linked together, but it's a chain that is being whipped around the city and each place that it bumps up to into the corners of darkness, like chains that just get linked in together. There's a whipping that is linking together and joining new people into this community, but it's an exponential whipping. There's a force that, that, is, that is engaging more and more people. And over time, the momentum Momentum will link so many people into this community. People that are linked by their Me Too story. And so by the power of the Holy Spirit, we just pray that each one of us would respond to the divine invitation that we have to link others into a community of love. We hope you enjoyed this message from Horizon Church. To find your next step, visit horizonfam.ca. Have a great week.